Cheers. Weather for the area today, sunny and 98. For St. George News Radio, I'm Carl Lamar. When you realize that mainstream media has sold you a box of rocks, it's time to tune into the Kate Daly Show, America's newest addiction. The show starts now. I was recently asked, what is the mission statement for your show? How do you describe the Kate Daly Show? It honestly took me a minute before I could even come up with an answer. Because this show is not like any other conservative talk show out there. This show is so different, but it has to be. It's not about propping up one party and blaming the other on a daily basis. It's about getting to the truth, the uncomfortable truth. I'm on this journey to cut through the propaganda that we've been fed and to uncover the truth about our world and our government and what's been going on. Is this show controversial? Yes. (laughs) You will not leave this show every day without having learned something important or even valuable about how we view the world. We have to say what isn't being said out loud. And in order to do that, we have to check our fear and our political correctness at the door. We get to have over 400 guests a year that visit the show. I have nine incredible co-hosts that come and join me on a daily basis with a different point of view every single day. We have to get our country back. We have to. We are running out of time. Let's do this. Hi there. Welcome to the Kate Daly Show. It's Tuesday. And, of course, we're going to be off to a rockin' start. What can I tell you? It's going to be a fantastic show today, chock full of all kinds of mysteries and all kinds of things that maybe can take us away from the political nightmares going on right now, um, the global stuff going on right now. We're going to spend an hour um, discussing everything but that. And then in in the next hour, we're going to go into more of the Iran deal, the White Helmets, the uh, Hawaii, what's going on around the globe and what's going on in the United States and politically. So we'll save that for the next hour. In this hour, I'm extremely excited uh, to bring this guest on board because the, the last time we had this guest, I got so much great feedback. And what's nice about this guest is he isn't afraid to go into these areas that are kind of taboo on, on regular talk radio sometimes. People uh, don't know whether to talk about them or not. I think everything needs to be discussed. These are some of the greatest discoveries of our time. And Jonathan Gray always seems to be at the helm of what's going on in the greatest discoveries of our time. In fact, he's an international explorer, archaeologist, and author. Uh, Jonathan Gray has traveled the world to gather data on ancient mysteries. Boy, has he had a life. Can I just tell you, over the past, and he's not done yet, over the past 37 years, he's penetrated some largely unexplored areas, including parts of the Amazon headwaters. He's also led expeditions to the bottom of the sea and remote mountain and desert regions of the world. And of course, Uh, In his explorations, he began to uncover evidence of surprising kind of -of out-of-place artifacts. And according to what he was taught at school, these are impossible, right? They're not. These simply should not exist. They do. And these are not just isolated anomalies. And so there's a global pattern to this. And I think today, looking at the broader picture of things and really um, helping to support, I think, things that we probably know deep down inside, but support them with the facts. This is going to be amazing. His book, Dead Men's Secrets, is just gaining so much popularity. You're going to want to grab that book, Dead Men's Secrets. Welcome to the program, Jonathan Gray, calling in from New Zealand. 
Thank you, Kate. It's a pleasure to be with you today. It's a pleasure to be with you. In fact, you always sort of rock the world of the show because I love when you come and, and, and I think it restores people's faith a little bit in that big picture. We could talk about politics for two straight hours. It's going to do nothing for you as much as this hour is going to do uh, for people listening out there. And there has been an amazing discovery that I want you to talk about, about 2,000 years old, that uh, has happened since the last time you visited this show. And I cannot wait for you to explain this. Well, uh, I'm going to mention two discoveries, actually, Kate. Yes. Uh, one, that, one that occurred earlier, but it's linked to the one that has okay. just occurred recently. Sure. Um, in 1446 BC, that's quite a way back, mm-hmm. a golden chest was made among the Hebrews who had come out of Egypt in the deserts of, of Saudi Arabia. Okay. And there, and there in the deserts, so they built their tabernacle, uh, and uh, they placed in it this golden chest, which was known as the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it was built specifically to enshrine the tablets of Ten Commandments, which were written on stone, mm-hmm. uh, a, a law for human behavior, which, of course, most of our civilizations are, are founded on portions of that. Wow. But the, the Ten Commandments actually is, a, you might say, a moral law for, the, for human behavior, which, of course, we've all violated one way or another. Right. And, and then over this, in, which was inside the box, ark simply in this case meant box or container of the covenant, the covenant being the Ten Commandments. And inside that was the, the tables of the, of the law. But over that there was placed a lid. And that lid was called the mercy seat. And that indicated that our Creator desires mercy for each one of us. And uh, each year the blood of an animal uh, was ceremonially sprinkled onto the mercy seat to indicate that a coming divine stand-in for us would offer himself as a substitute for mankind so that the abused law would survive inviolate and yet his death will free every guilty person who accepts the payment on their behalf and that was the teaching and and the message uh, and the purpose of the ark of the covenant was to enshrine that story of, of a coming one a coming messiah wow. and what he would do for the human race now during the siege of Jerusalem by Babylonian invaders in 586 BC now this this ark was transported through into the land of Canaan which is now known as the land of Israel and um, then Solomon built a temple which uh, took the place of the uh, the tabernacle in the desert and in that temple there was a, a, a room called the most holy place and in that most holy place was placed this Ark of the Covenant the most sacred object on earth right. now during the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586 BC, the prophet Jeremiah and temple priests hid the ark in an underground cave near what is known today as Skull Hill in Jerusalem, okay. uh, about 270 feet outside the city walls, and it was to remain there hidden for more than 2,500 years. Now, in 31 AD, 
Roman soldiers drilled a hole into a rock ledge fronting Skull Hill for the placement of a wooden cross on which to execute the one we know as Jesus Christ. They were unaware that immediately below the, the, the hole that they were drilling for the cross was the cave that contained the Ark of the Covenant, immediately below it. Wow. Oh, my. Wow. Now, during the crucifixion, mm-hmm. a Roman spear pierced the side of Jesus, an earthquake cracked open the rock, and his blood dripped down through the crack onto the mercy seat of the ark below. Whoa. The symbolism is unescapable. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, that was done without Jeremiah and those temple priests didn't know about the blood of Jesus going to to go onto the mercy seat. They didn't know that the Romans were going to drill a hole at the spot just above where they, the cave where they placed the ark. Mm-hmm. And the Roman soldiers didn't know that they were drilling the hole right at the very spot where prophecy said it should be drilled. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But it, it happened. Yeah. Now, the close family of Jesus wrote their own detailed account concerning his death. Now, that's not what we see in the New Testament. The New Testament story is written by apostles, disciples, Mm -hmm. who wrote their their story of what they saw happen. But then in addition to that, there was a a book unknown to the world that was being written privately by close family members Hmm. of Jesus. Okay. Now, it's very interesting that when Jesus was taken off the cross, uh, a man went to see him, a man who was very, very wealthy. His name was Joseph of the city of Arimathea, which was just uh, not too far from Jerusalem. Now, this man, Joseph, was very wealthy. Uh, He he gained his wealth from the tin mines of Cornwall in England. And he had a fleet of ships that that not only carried the tin that was mined in Cornwall, but uh, also transported it to places around the Roman Empire. Tin was much in use uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And he gained great wealth. In fact, he was probably the most wealthy man in the land uh, at that time. Hmm. And... Uh, He went to Pilate, Governor Pilate, the Roman governor, and asked permission to claim the body of Jesus and put it in his own new tomb that had never yet been used. Mm -hmm. Now, it turns out that Joseph was, uh, was actually the uncle of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He was the younger brother of of her father. Hmm. And... uh, only one who was a close relative could claim, make claim to a body. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting also that um, the purpose of the crucifixion was to blot out the memory of this this uh, person that they were crucifying. Uh, and uh, there were two thieves that were crucified, one on each side of him, but he was actually the star attraction. They'd made 11 attempts on his life throughout the three years that he had been teaching in the land. Mm-hmm. There was jealousy involved from the church leaders down uh, to this man who was not educated by them. He, he was te- teaching the, the, uh, the way of life mm-hmm. uh, and happiness, and the, and the people were loving him. And this caused tremendous jealousy among the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the, the, the church leadership of the day. 
and 11 attempts were made on his life but the time had not yet come that was prophesied and therefore it was not to happen right uh, uh, but when they eventually were permitted to crucify him uh, they, they used the Roman power and crucifixion was the Roman method of execution mm-hmm. uh, so here we have a, the union of church and state which is a very dangerous combination when the religious powers try to use the state to enforce laws. Right. We're finding this is happening in the world today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a little bit. Very much so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And, and, and this is a very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in the day of Jesus Christ, it was uh, the union of the, the Jewish Sanhedrin with the Roman state and uh, they, they had to require permission from uh, the Roman governor for the execution to take place. And so it was done according to Roman law, crucifixion. Wow. Now, now uh, on, by law also, only a close relative could claim the body of somebody who was thus uh, mm-hmm. uh, accused and, and, and punished. Now, Joseph, being a close relative, uh, went to Pilate and of course his influence was was well known he had lots of money he was he was very powerful uh, and that permission was granted for him to take the body and transport it to the adjacent tomb in the rock okay uh, in the same skull face hill Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually called Skull Hill simply because when Solomon's temple was being built, this area was quarried, and uh, the the remaining rock face did look a little bit like a human skull. So it got the name of Skull Hill. Okay, we're gonna uh, we're gonna to pause right here. We're gonna uh, come right back more with Jonathan Gray on this discovery and a two thousand year old document, how they tie in and um, and these discoveries and what they mean to us now. And uh, wow, we'll be right back more with author Jonathan Gray and uh, obviously international explorer and archaeologist. We'll be right back. Jonathan's calling in from New Zealand. Don't go anywhere. This is the Kate Daly Show. Welcome back to the Kate Daly Show. I've got Uncle Milty with me today. Mm-hmm. It's a Tuesday, and of course, uh, we have a great guest in this hour. We're going to get to world events in the next hour. Trust me, we'll get there. Uh, there's plenty of fodder for talk radio every day. <laughs> we'll get there, and we'll talk about Iran, uh, Syria, all all of it in the next hour. But this hour, I want to concentrate on some very big discoveries that have been made. And our guest, Jonathan Gray, international explorer, archaeologist, and author, is the guy to do it. He spent the last 37 years um, going into these areas and with these discoveries can really explain sort of big, big picture events that I think even affect our lives more than the drama of the day on the Hill. And I, I welcome you back, Jonathan Gray. The website is beforeus.com. You can, uh, the, the book, his latest book is Dead Men's Secrets. You're going to want to get this. Thousands of pieces of evidence on a, on a our, our, you know, of a lost super science and technology, all kinds of achievements that were made um, back when. We had him on the show before, if you'll remember. We talked about all the civilizations and what they were able to do way back when, when we think people were basically just, I don't know, couldn't even hammer a nail, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how were the terrific people that emerged. No, actually, they were pretty uh, pretty into technology and science. As, as, you know, as everyone knows, the big, huge civilization found in Guatemala, right? 
Jonathan. Yep. So lots of discoveries. And we're, right now we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the, the golden chest. We're also going to be talking about a 2,000-year-old document uh, that was found. So I, I had to stop you at the moment. We were talking about the uh, Mary's uncle, Joseph, um, taking the body to the tomb that he owned, correct? And not a lot of people are aware of that. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And and the, the tomb actually was very adjacent to the crucifixion site, almost abutting onto it. Wow. And the crucifixion site was a little to the – if you face Skull Hill uh, today, there's an Arab bus station just under the, the Skull Face area. Mm -hmm. But then to the left of that is the, uh, is the place where the crucifixion took place, and it was covered over with the rubble of, of 2,000 years, but that was excavated in 1970. 78 to 81 mm -hmm. and then eventually underneath that was found the cave with with uh, dried blood s slipping down through the crack. The crack has been discovered, the crack that's mentioned in the Gospels where the earthquake, the, the, the rocks were, were mm -hmm. split and that split wasn't in order for the blood of the Messiah to sprinkle down onto the ark which was below the crack in the cave and uh, that blood actually, I have photographic uh, uh, record of that blood being scraped off the crack and, and there uh, and it was taken to several labs, and those labs actually have surrendered their reports, uh, one in Israel, one in Germany, and five in the United States, uh, stating that this is the blood of a man whose blood is ours, like ours, but different. Wow. Uh, and, and you can actually uh, analyze it this way. And, and in fact, I, I spoke at Oxford University some time back, and Dr. Eugene Dunkley, a professor of, of genetics, came up mm -hmm. to me after the lecture and he says, well, I believe what you say because it's the only way it could have worked out genetically. Whoa. Uh, we, we normally have uh, from our parents mm -hmm. uh, 23 chromosomes from our mother, 23 from our father, uh, and uh, there are 22 which are called autosomes. They give us our characteristics as mm -hmm. people, uh, which come from the, our parents, uh -huh. 22 from our mother, 22 from our father. But then the 23rd one is uh, the, the sexual determinant, the, the okay. gender determinant uh, uh, chromosome. And the mother can supply XX, but the father can supply X and Y. Mm -hmm. Now, one is shaped like an X, letter X, and one shaped like letter Y. But right. the, the, the sex determinant actually comes from the father always. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the mother supplies the X, and the father supplies the X. That means that the child will be a girl. Okay. Uh, the mother supplies the X, and the father supplies a Y. It means the child will be a boy. And, and that's the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, the, a father can provide X or Y. The mother can provide X or X only. Okay. But the mother carries the child, of course. Now, this blood, uh, when when my friend uh, Ron Wyatt w was told by uh, doctor, uh, the doctor at the Hebrew University, who was who was actually overseeing his excavation, mm -hmm. uh, he. He, Ron said to him, well, where, where shall I go to get this tested? He says, I'll, I'll show you a place you can go just northeast of Jerusalem, a laboratory there. He went into the laboratory and there were three men were there uh, working on this project. They, they actually uh, 
swirled the blood in uh, in a saline solution at body temperature for 72 hours and then they brought it back to uh, from, that's from its its dried state back to its its normal uh, state and uh, then they began the testing and uh, uh, Ron said well well what are you finding the man said he says is it an-? Ron says is it animal blood because animal blood was once a year sprinkled onto the mercy seat mm-hmm. uh, or is it human blood right and the man said it's human blood but it's different a little different from human blood uh, Ron said well what do you mean and the man looked at him and almost in you know with, with a, a terror in his eyes and he said this is uncanny he said this is the blood of a man who had no human father oh wow <laughs> wow this blood Amen. this blood has this blood has 24 chromosomes we we all have 23 from mother 23 from father um, and we get 46 but this one has only has 24 Oh my God! Uh, and 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 the twenty-three come come from a woman. The Y means he was male, and that had to have been added. But the, but if he had a human father, he would have had another twenty-three. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow! And you can still but, test it. You can still see. It. You can still. Yeah. Wow! That's amazing. That that is right. And then what happened was that uh, Ron was invited to speak uh, in. Um, Phoenix, Texas, among other places, and the the man who actually uh, started an organisation, I think it's well known in the world, the uh, Full Gospel International Business Men's Association. He invited Ron to speak uh-huh. at, a le- at a seminar a series they were having there, but he said, when you come, please bring your certificates from the laboratories. Now, Ron brought them, but he didn't know why. Now, at that at that um, uh, room where they went in be, uh, before the day before the seminars began, there were several other people brought into the room at the same time. Uh, one was uh, an international uh, uh, religious preacher. Mm-hmm. Another one was a lawyer, an American uh, attorney. And another one was a world-class document testing expert. Okay. And uh, when they all sat round the table, uh, the, the Mr. Sakaran, the, the founder of the of the Business Men's Association, said, "Mr. Wyatt, I want you to hand over your uh, your certificates mm-hmm. to to, uh, to this man here who's sitting at the at the table, who was a document verification expert." We want to make sure that everything is above board. Sure. And this man got out his uh, his uh, glasses and, and his equipment, and he uh, also got out a big blue folder that he had, and unbeknown to anybody, he had already contacted the laboratories where these tests were claimed to have been done. Mm-hmm. He'd, he had got signatures, he'd got their letterheads, he'd got everything. And as Ron handed over the, his documents, this man examined them and tested them and compared them. And then uh, Mr. Sakaran said to him, after a good long time of testing, he said, well, what's your verdict? 
He said, I could go into any legal court in the world and verify to anyone without fear of successful contradiction that these tests are genuine. This is the blood of a man that had no earthly father. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. That's huge. That's so huge. Yes, it is. Wow. And um, I had that testimony of, of that visit sent to me direct by one of the men around the table. Yes. Jeez. I have it right here with me. Yeah. I, it's just, I think people are going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, because it's, you know, you, you have your faith, whatever faith that is for whatever listener is listening, and maybe some without any faith. Who knows? Um, but that is a huge, huge discovery. I mean, that is amazing. Truly, truly. Wow. Yes, and that was made possible by the discovery of the Ark of the Covenant and the blood on the mercy seat. Below the crucifixion site of Skull Hill, 270 feet north of the present-day walls of Old Jerusalem. Oh, my gosh. And adjacent to what is today known as the Garden Tomb. Hmm. Now, it's very interesting that um, when Joseph actually gave... Uh, his tomb for the body, mm-hmm. he ignited a fury among the, the Sanhedrin. He was himself a member of the Sanhedrin, and he and another man, Nicodemus, with whom he was uh, remotely uh, related, mm-hmm. they they were two of the men that moved the body into the into the tomb site. Now, um, the plan of the Sanhedrin was to dump. The, the bodies of these three men being crucified that day, that was uh, Jesus Christ and then two, uh, two thieves, onto the Gehenna burn, burning rubbish dump uh, to be erased, their memory to be erased forever as criminals. <sighs> but Joseph, by his act, gave the impression that this man that was in his tomb was a martyr and did not deserve such a, a dishonorable burial, but preserved an honorable burial. And this ignited the fury of the Sanhedrin. So now the question naturally would arise, what would they do about this? What would the Sanhedrin do about this after Joseph actually went against their wishes? Mm-hmm. Now, the fact was that they they had him uh, imprisoned on false charges, but he was miraculously released. But so then they decided to get rid of him another way. Uh, there was a man actually involved in the Sanhedrin. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Okay. And uh, he was given the job of getting rid of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph was a wealthy man, as we noticed, probably mm-hmm. the, the wealthiest man in, in the country. Okay. And, so, and he had a lot of influence because of that. And so it was not an easy matter to get rid of him without recriminations coming back to the Sanhedrin mm-hmm. upon them. So what happened was this. A dozen close people, people that were very close to uh, Jesus, uh, had been very close to Jesus uh, during his, his time, Uh, They were to be arrested during the night, and one of these was Joseph of Arimathea, arrested while they slept, uh, houses broken into while they slept. Mm -hmm. So this could all be done secretly without the public knowing what was going on. And then they were shuttled down to Haifa, 
on the Mediterranean coast, and there a boat was waiting, mm-hmm. and that boat had from had taken from it uh, the sails were taken off it, so mm-hmm. it could so it could not be sailed in the wind okay. and controlled, and oars were taken off it so that when it was pushed out to sea, there would be no way for the the people in the boats to 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 get themselves to safety. They would become at the mercy of the elements. And so these 12 people, uh, one, one of them was Lazarus. One, uh, he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a, a servant, a house girl. Joseph of Arimathea was another. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was another. These were all loaded onto the boat, a dozen people, and then they were pushed out into sea to die. And nobody could blame the Sanhedrin for what happened. Oh, they just all went out and they died. Wow. And that's what happened. Hmm. But they didn't die. Uh, Joseph actually uh, took with him a very valuable document. He had been writing his own diary of of those mm-hmm. years uh, as he he watched what Jesus was doing, mm-hmm. and he wrote he wrote from his own standpoint uh, exactly what he saw happening, and it was a document that was very precious to him, and of course when he took that out with him, uh, wherever he would go, it would go with him. Now as as it happened, their boat landed up on the south coast of France, near Marseille. Mm-hmm. And uh, they met friends who had gone out that way to to spread the news also uh, around the, the Roman Empire of, of what had been happening in Palestine. Okay. And uh, from there, because he had friends... Mm-hmm. Uh, in England, because of his uh, his business associates with, with the tin mines. I'm going to stop you right there. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger moment. We'll be right back on the Kate Daly Show. You're not going to want to miss any of this. We'll be right back. More. So I'm still reeling from the last segment of the show and talking about um, uh, the DNA, the blood evidence. is just amazing. And we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant and a 2,000-year-old uh, document uh, that has been found. Welcome back to the show, Jonathan Gray. What a fascinating hour this is. And we just left with that cliffhanger from France to England. You might want to take it from there. Okay. I'm happy to do that, Kate. Sure. Uh, When Joseph of Arimathea uh, and uh, his party in the boat that was set adrift by Saul of Tarsus Mm -hmm. to die at sea, landed uh, on the south coast of France, still alive and well, they spent a short time there, and then Joseph said, I want to go across to England. I f- I'll feel safer there mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the Roman Empire has not been able to penetrate into the area that, that I, where I have friends, and uh, I um, am going to take Mary with me, and we too will continue ac- over the channel, and we will go to Cornwall, mm-hmm. which is where the tin mines are. Okay. So they did that. And they sailed uh, uh, from Calais across the English Channel. They ended up on in the west coast of uh, the main island of Britain and uh, then up a little bit uh, until they got to an island which uh, uh, today is just part of the mainland. Uh, but there they settled, a place called Glastonbury. And uh, at Glastonbury... Joseph decided to make his home. 
Now, it's very, very interesting that he not only uh, made his home there, but he actually planted something from the Middle East there, which still grows, its, it's, it's descendants still grow today. It's a thorn tree. Hmm. And, and uh, the thorn tree actually bears at a certain time of the year uh, in uh, Israel, but it bears at a different time of the year in Britain. But this for, this one single thorn tree, and it, this, this is a descendant, not of the, it's not the original one, but one that's taken a cutting from the original, uh, still grows today, and uh, it it has been known to bear twice a year, the same time as in Israel and the same time as in Britain. Mm-hmm. So it, it, huh. it, it betrays its, its uh, Middle Eastern origin. Right. And he brought that, actually, and maybe it's the same kind of thorn uh, that was placed on the, as a crown on, on the head of Jesus. But uh, it was a thorn tree that he brought with him and planted at Glastonbury in southwest England. Oh, my. Wow. Now, okay. Now, uh, there he also he brought this document with him now why why he felt safe here was that he'd developed a relationship with the people of uh, britain mm-hmm. and uh, a, a business relationship but also a friendship with them and he knew that he could safely uh, count on their support if if he needed help and interestingly he planted the the message with them uh, and this message was the message of a risen uh, saviour. And they accepted it readily. And, and as a result of this, England became the first uh, country in the world to claim itself Christian. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. You know, I, I have a question for you, and that is about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it was, people think that it was, uh, or I, th- I think common belief is that it was lost or destroyed uh, around 600 B.C. And uh, where is it today, and, and does it exist today, and, and, and so forth? Yes, yes, it does exist today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, well, let, let me tell you something. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll stop Joseph's story for a moment. I'm just going to go back to the ark for a minute. Okay. Uh, the, the Israeli government know that it's there. Hmm. There, are, there are extremists uh, among the Israelis uh, who, uh, while wanting to build a, a, a third temple in Jerusalem, believe that no matter how they could get the ark, if they could get the ark, that would become the centerpiece of the new temple. And therefore, this is a very explosive discovery. Sure. And they'd be willing to go to war even against the Arabs uh, and, and, and have a battle over the Dome of the Rock. The, the third holiest Muslim shrine in the world, and they'd be willing to destroy that and have and start a war, war, a third world war if necessary, to so that they could get that Temple Mount and pl- and place a temple on it with the Ark of the Covenant in. So the Ark of the Covenant is potentially a dangerous discovery from the point of view of politics in Israel. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the Israeli, there are men within the Israeli government who who know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a matter of fact, um, uh, when when Ron reported to his uh, the man that gave him a permit to, to do the digging in Skull Hill, 
Uh, and when he found the Zark, he went back to Dr. Dan Bahart. Dan Bahart was a professor at the Hebrew University, and Dan actually had given him his permit to do the excavation. Dan wanted to go and see this for himself. He says, okay, I want to see this holy relic for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he, walked, he, he went actually toward the excavation opening, and when he was just... Three paces from the opening, he collapsed. What? Wow. He collapsed and he was paralyzed and he was in hospital for two weeks and he was paralyzed during that time. Oh, my gosh. And afterwards, he says, I'm not going to try again to get to the Holy Ark. I mean, after all, in in ancient times, uh, only people especially selected uh, mm-hmm. holy temple priests were permitted to go there because it represented the throne of God right uh, it was a, it was a, a replica of something in the heavens and and this is what uh, Moses was told when he was told to construct it according to a pattern given him in in the mountain oh my gosh <clears throat> wow and uh, <laughs> so, so so Dan was not chosen to go in there and uh, th- there was a message sent to him and, and that t- two weeks of paralyzation mm-hmm. uh, taught him that okay this is too sacred we've got to be very careful what we do about this ark oh my oh my wow so he asked ron to go back into the cave bring out something that would have been buried with the ark and we will know then that you found the ark okay so Ron did go in. He went in and he brought out a high priest. Now, only the high priests were allowed to go into the ark mm-hmm. once a year. No one else, not even the other priests. <clears throat> and uh, he, they had to make sure that they had they were clean, absolutely spotlessly clean in their character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so he brought this out. And this was the... Uh, the ivory scepter from the uh, the high priests that would go into the ark each year. Now, that was taken to Dr. Dan Bahart, and when he saw that, he said, yes, now I know that everything's in there. Oh my the God. things that were buried together and hidden from the Babylonians so they could not be destroyed, they're all in there together. And uh, they, they took that... Um, that high priest scepter and it became a centerpiece mm-hmm. on display in the Hebrew Museum. In fact, uh, I took people in there and they photographed it and, and, and it said that this is the only object that we have in our possession from Solomon's temple, but, but uh, we know that there are others and we know where they are. And that was in the Hebrew Museum. It, it's, it's still there as far as I know, but if not, um, wow. they will admit that they did have it. So intriguing. Okay. Wow. All right. And then uh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Now, the Israeli government, under pressure from the extremists, decided that they wanted to move the Ark of the Covenant away from being close to, under the Arab area of Jerusalem, old, old Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, there's an Arab bus station almost over the top of it. Okay. So they wanted to um, to move it to what uh, to what they, where they thought it might be safer. And that would be a place um, under the Israeli section of Jerusalem. So they dressed six men. Now, this occurred while we, while my wife Josephine and I were in Jerusalem. Actually, we didn't know it was going on at the time, but it was happening right there while we were there in Jerusalem. They sent these, they dressed these six men up as Levitical priests. And they said, now you go in looking like Levitical priests and bring out 
the ark and we will put it in a safer place underground under our part of Jerusalem. Well, we just flew out of, of Jerusalem and Ron flew in. And uh, Ron told us, he said, as soon as I got into Jerusalem, uh, I went to the antiquities department with my equipment to mm -hmm. see if I could be of any help to them because we help each other. They sure. help me, I help them. Sure. And, and they said, no, we don't need your equipment this time, Mr. Wyatt, but we, we do need your help. Um, two weeks ago, we sent six men and they told him and they never came out. They oh, went oh. in the cave and they never came. They went in the tunnel leading to the cave and they never came out. Oh, my God. Now, now as I mentioned, the 270 feet of, of distance, uh, they, um, uh, they went in to, they, they had to go 270 feet of distance to get to the cave, which is under the hill. And that's about uh, 20 feet level, below the street level. Mm -hmm. Now, as they went in from uh, the entrance to the, the tunnel, and never came out, uh, they said, Mr. White, would you go in and see what's happened? We know that you are safe. You can go in and out, that, that uh, we, we don't dare go in ourselves. So he went in and only about 70 feet in, here were the six men lying on their backs, each of them with their eyes open and each of their eyes double crossed the right cross, crossed eye and the really? le left crossed eye, <laughs> it, the whole six of them dead. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I spoke to a doctor, a medical doctor. He mm -hmm. said that would indicate that they, they each suffered a bilateral stroke. All at the same time, all six. <laughs> all six, all at the same oh time, gosh. and all the same way. Oh so that was a message. There was a message <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, that's, that, that's too big for coincidence. <laughs> so, that's right. Oh my gosh. So you, 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 don't, you don't mess with holy things. Oh, my gosh. As you're seeing the political events of the day, you know, Iran and Israel and all of these things, it certainly probably adds this layer of context on for you as you've been in all of these areas and, and studying artifacts and, and all of a sudden, you know, obviously the religious wars, the holy wars. I mean, any, any take on that today with, with all of the news that's going on in the world? Oh, Were yes, that's another him? subject. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to beg you back for about 20 more minutes on this program, I, I feel, that we, we have to ask you to stay 20 more minutes to, to at least broach the subject because it's so big today. What, what you're alluding to and what you've been talking about just even in the last segment is so huge com on the world front, on the world stage today. Um, I, I bet you have a lot of thoughts about this. Yes? <laughs> yes, 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 I do. Yes. And as a matter of fact, there are prophecies, too that talk about what's what's about to happen there you know what uh, you will would you join us for another 20 minutes on the show are you uh, able to do so today? Yeah, yeah yes i could do that but i think more appropriately would be better to finish the story of joseph of arimathea Please. first in his document you got that you have about a minute and a half left uh, right now and if there's any loose end you want to type and then we'll go into the next segment talking about that as well okay well um Joseph actually uh, was a marked man, as, as we know, mm -hmm. and uh, therefore they had to get rid of him because he gave an honorable, honorable bur burial to the man that they wanted to lose the memory of forever. Right. 
and uh, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, came with him to to Glastonbury in England, and her grave is there, and his grave is there as well. Hmm. And uh, the the traditions of early Britain actually give us a genealogy from Joseph coming right down to King Arthur. Knights of the Round Table story, who was not just a legend, he was an historical figure, Mm -hmm. and he was descended from Joseph. And uh, the the history of the document is something maybe that um, uh, we could talk about in the coming segment. You bet. Okay, we'll get to that. And we're with Jonathan Gray, international explorer, author, Dead Men's Secrets is the last book. Um, 37 years at this, you can imagine the things that he has seen discovered and talked about. Uh, We're just so lucky to get Jonathan Gray calling in from New Zealand uh, live on the show. So you're going to have to stay with us because we're also going to possibly get into a little bit of geopolitics as this plays out in some of the things we've been talking about today with Jonathan Gray, author Jonathan Gray. Hang with us. We'll be right back on the Kate Daly Show, katedalyradio.com. Don't go anywhere. His website, by the way, is Before Us, Before Us, two words, Before Us. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, quick message here. I just wanted to tell you about uh, about something Birch Gold is doing over the next week. And you know, the reason I tell you to go to them is this is who I trust. There's a lot of people that come to me that want me to refer to them, to sell gold and silver to them or what have you. Nope, no way. This is who I trust. I trust Birch Gold. And this is why I talk about him on the air. And this is why I waited 13 years to talk about anyone on the air is I really wanted to make sure it was somebody I knew I could trust. This is why Ron Paul trusts them, Steve Bannon trusts them, a lot of people with a lot of money. And let me just tell you, they're very, very good at what they do, and they're very good at advice. They have a Black Friday event uh, from uh, (laughs) from November 17th to November uh, 24th, okay? And when you open a gold IRA and back it with gold— which might not cost you anything to do for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch gold is going to send you a free gold bar. And this is, you have to text Kate to 989898. Okay. That, that phone number 989898 to claim eligibility before black Friday. All right. So Birch gold can help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold for no money out of pocket and you still get the free gold bars. Isn't that amazing? For every 10000 you put into an account backed with gold, you're going to get a free gold bar. I just think that's kind of amazing. So take advantage of this. It is, um, it is uh, the 17th uh, through the 24th. Just make sure you go and do this. Text 989898 and text my name. All right? Really appreciate you doing that because I know you're going to get the information you need. Information's free. So this is just going to give you the info and then you can decide what to do. But it's some good advice for you. And I really like good advice. You know that. I do my homework. But this is who I trust most importantly. And I want to I want to stress that this is who I trust. These are the guys I trust. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> 